I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Attorney General Barr takes on sanctuary cities. You will love it. In studio guest with us today, Victor Avila. And is it fair to call Bernie un-American? And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Attorney General Barr gave a speech to the National Sheriff's Association in which he made some very firm announcements about how the Trump administration is going to move forward dealing with sanctuary cities. Of course, a lot of outcry from the left complaining about this is you know, racist, unfair, intolerant, bigoted, all the things they usually say. I want to tell you exactly what specifically Attorney General Barr said they're going to do. To start with, this was the National Sheriff's Association. So these are people on the ground who are making decisions with respect to individuals in custody who may have been identified by ICE as people that ICE is considering or would like to investigate a question and perhaps move toward deportation. So to start with, what Attorney General Barr explained at this great meeting, by the way, I put a link on our website to the entire speech. If you go to americacanwetalk.org on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links is a link to the speech I urge you to read it yourself. I actually have the document saved, and, or you can go and listen to the speech and what he had to say. First point he made is, this effort with respect to the Department of Justice cracking down on sanctuary cities is not the rounding up of people who may be here illegally, but have committed no crime, who are, fun other than entering America illegally, are not committing crime. So it is targeted at people who are in America illegally and also have committed a crime and also have been brought to the attention of local law enforcement in some way. He made a great point that over the decades, historically, Republicans and Democrats in Washington, presidents and the congressional majority have worked together to try to deal with the problem of illegal immigration, the problems of deportation, making policy about how to deal with people who enter America illegally. It is only within recent years that the Democrat Party seems to have abandoned any effort to deal with immigration and illegal aliens in America in a serious way. Only a relatively recent effort in American history to have sanctuary cities evolve as a norm, as a proud talking point among leftists. So I will tell you what he had to say. Um, he's Start out by saying concrete steps to combat the dangerous and unlawful practice of sanctuary cities. Before I tell you what he decided, two quick examples he gave of the danger of not, of sanctuary cities not complying with demands for detainer by ISIS, by ICE, excuse me, by ICE. One was in November of this past year, ICE filed a detainer for an illegal, illegal alien who was arrested for assaulting his own father. So this is an illegal alien, no right to be here, no legal right to be here, assaulted his father, gets arrested, but the local police in New York City that had the alien in custody ignored the detainer 
that was issued by ICE. So the alien was released onto the streets and last month, so this, this speech being just recently, so last month, January, you know, a few weeks ago, the same illegal alien who could have been turned over to ICE, then allegedly raped and killed 92-year-old Maria Fuentes, um, a, a resident in, in her Queens neighborhood. She would be here today if the New York City police decided to comply with ICE detainer orders. Second example he gave in October 2017, Department of Homeland Security identified a convicted criminal alien with four prior removals who was then at a city jail in Washington State. Washington State. So DHS, Department of Homeland Security, filed a detainer. Subsequently, the alien fought with jail staff, was taken to a local medical center, and after receiving treatment, then was released by the medical facility instead of turned over to DHS. That individual, January 2018, was arrested and booked for the murdering and dismembering his own cousin. And these are just tip of the iceberg, few stories. We talk about them periodically, but these happen in America where there was a potential on the part of jurisdictions around this country to turn illegal aliens over to, uh, in response to a detainer order by ICE, to turn them over and begin the deportation process, but somehow it's become noble and virtuous if you're a leftist to stand up for the rights of illegal aliens, even criminal illegal aliens, to stay in America. So here are what these steps are that um, the uh, Attorney General announced are going to do. They have filed in five or six cases, they have filed law, not, they're not the uh, mover in the lawsuit, but they filed motions or uh, amicus briefs or in, uh, some other way entering into battles that are going on already in federal courts that are, that are designed to fight against the sanctuary city conduct. So number one, further actions they announced. The department, meaning the Department of Justice, is filing a complaint against the state of New Jersey seeking declaratory and injunctive relief against its laws that forbid state and local law enforcement from sharing vital information about criminal aliens with the Department of Homeland Security. Declaratory relief just means you're asking a judge to make a declaration, a statement. This is my judge. I, this is my finding. I'm the judge. I find this is what I have to say. And injunctive relief means they're asking the court to issue an injunction to say, you can't keep on doing this. To be clear, this is the state of New Jersey. The entire state has said that they forbid state and local law enforcement from sharing information about illegal aliens who have committed crimes who are in custody in some way prohibited them from sharing information with the Department of Homeland Security. Second one, they filed a complaint seeking declaratory and injunctive relief, same two kinds of relief, against King County, Washington, which is where Seattle is located. And you gotta get this. Seattle has in place a policy that forbids the Department of Homeland Security to use the airport. So if they want to come in to pick up an illegal alien, to move that person toward deportation, or they want to come in and then to begin an investigation with some illegal alien who's in custody, this is the state, the city rather, trying to find ways around the following federal law. And so one thing they are just trying at every way they can to trip up the enforcement of federal enforcement federal immigration law is to say ICE can't even use the airport. So in closing, I do encourage you to uh, listen to this speech by Attorney General Barr, really quite forceful. He closed with something I want to share with you. Today, 
this is Attorney General Barr's words, is a significant escalation in the federal government's efforts to confront the resistance of sanctuary cities. By no means do the efforts outlined above signify the culmination of our fight to ensure the rule of law, to defend the Constitution, and to keep Americans safe. And on that note, during his remarks, Attorney General Barr did make very clear, did a brief little summary of the basic notion we've talked about in this show many times, that there is no other jurisdiction in America that has the right to make immigration law. Immigration law is a federal issue. It is it, it, the power to make immigration law resides in Congress. The power of the president, as we've talked about many times in this show, he has the power to issue executive orders relating to national security, relating to who gets in and visas. These are clearly federal powers. They cannot reside in the 50 states. They can't reside in the countless counties or city jurisdictions. It's a federal law issue. And what he's really talking about, Attorney General Bardas core, He's saying we're going to reassert the idea that the country of America exists, that we have one set of laws related to immigration, and everyone in this country has to follow it. And that, my friends, is today's first five. Well, as I mentioned, when we kicked off our show today, we have a guest in studio. We have joining us in studio, Victor Avila. Um, he is a former, and I'm going to read this, and I'm not going to read this long resume, but I'll in short tell you that he has served our country, served as a member of the Department of Homeland Security as a special agent um, in ICE and served within Mexico. And he was with, and we're going to hear the story again today, but he was with uh he was part of an incident, I'm going to let him talk about it more, part of an incident in Mexico that involved an attack on him and a fellow ICE agent um, who was killed in that attack. Um, and it involves a lot of issues tying back to the American government, tying back to the possible gun running, and tying back moving forward, how do we get these issues resolved in America that, in a way that's fair to the people who serve us at the border in America? So. Without further ado, hello, Victor. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm glad you're here. Would you just very briefly tell our listeners, what is your, your background in terms of working for Department of Homeland Security? What were your jobs? You're leading up to this incident we're going to talk about on February 15th of 2011. Correct. I, I was a special agent under ICE. Uh, ICE has two divisions, the Enforcement Removal Operations and Homeland Security Investigations, which is a side that I work for, is the uh, criminal investigators. And... Uh, HSI agents conduct uh, criminal investigations with anything that has to do with a nexus to the U.S. border. Narcotics trafficking, human smuggling, human trafficking, money laundering, bulk cash smuggling, trade, uh, customs violations as well. A lot of people forget that it's immigration and customs, and so we still enforce customs laws. Okay, well that's more, so, and you began working for them when? Back in 2004. 2004, okay. So you were part of an incident, and I'm sure you've recounted this incident many times on many shows, and maybe some of our listeners have already heard this story, but I want to have you tell our listeners what happened on February 15, 2011, you and your partner, Jamie Zapata, is it, is that correct pronunciation? Jaime Zapata. Hyman? Jaime Zapata. Okay. I definitely That's want okay. to say his name correctly. Hyman Zapata were assigned by your superiors to to a mission that day you were sent off to drive on a road highway 57 that was viewed to be uh with it was in the middle of drug cartel dangerous territory so to start with when you got that assignment was there any concern on your part that that's where you're being asked to go absolutely I, I received the assignment on february 14th on valentine's day of 2011 
and I immediately challenged it because I just returned to the country. I had been on another investigation uh, the prior week and had not met Jaime until that day. I challenged the assignment because uh, there was an alert put out by the State Department via the ambassador's office giving uh, the U.S. Uh, personnel no authority or permission to drive on Highway 57. And written, everyone received that email. You couldn't drive on Highway 57 for personal reasons or for business reasons. You needed written consent from the ambassador to do that. But my, uh, my, my supervisors at ICE um, were more concerned with receiving some equipment that was going to be used for an ongoing investigation that I wasn't really part of uh, at that time. So the purpose of your assignment was to to get on this dangerous road, just to meet someone, pick up some equipment, and turn around. That's correct. We're going to uh, meet our counterparts, uh, I special agents that were assigned to the Monterey consulate uh, in Monterey, and they were, we were going to drive approximately halfway each and meet them on Highway 57, exchange that that equipment, pick it up, and return it to Mexico City. But we're talking about a long day, about a 11-hour uh, trip, round trip, more or less. Okay. What is the name of the Mexican the drug cartel that had control of this area? It's a cartel. Zeta Cartel. Yes. Okay, so you realize you're being asked to drive where the ambassador had just said no one should drive. You questioned it, but you were told, nope, this is, were you given any explanation for why you were told to go ahead and do it anyway? Uh, no, they needed that equipment by close of business day the following day. And we knew the intelligence, that's what we do. We worked in Mexico. We, we were very aware that they controlled that territory. I discussed this with the personnel from Monterey. And they're saying that uh, what other options did we have to bring this equipment, diplomatic pouch, through a truck, uh, airlifted, some other way other than us going by road. But it was all shut down. And so the order came. And at that point, we were ordered to go. And, and uh, they assigned Jaime Zapata, especially Jaime Zapata had just arrived in Mexico as a temporary agent, had been there, I think, a little less than a week or a little over a week. And I, I met him that day, that uh, February 14th at 3 p.m., exchange phone numbers and he met me at my apartment the following morning to we could drive off okay i just realized we're about um we're just a few days away from nine year anniversary today is february 11th i think and so yes, we're it is. just a few days away okay so you got went in the road and ultimately leaving a lot of other detail out you were surrounded at some point by members of this zeta drug cartel correct on the way back um at that point jaime i had been driving the whole the whole trip until that point where jaime had been driving for approximately 15 minutes and we were going south back to Mexico City, and we were surrounded by two SUVs, uh, approximately eight to 10 uh, individuals from the Setas Cartel, uh, forced us off the road and surrounded our suburban and with long guns, meaning uh, AK-47s, handguns, uh, and surrounded us and were ordering us to get out and get out and open the doors. We refused to do that. At one point, they were yanking on the doors. They opened one of the doors because the suburban unlocked because Jaime had placed the Suburban in park. The Suburban was programmed to unlock at that yeah. point. We immediately shut it, and when we pressed those lock buttons, it inadvertently lowered my window because the window buttons uh, were yeah, right yeah. next to the lock buttons. And so we didn't know that my window had lowered, the armored window of the vehicle had lowered about two inches. And I continued to scream at them and identified ourselves as U.S. diplomats, Americans, and, uh, and, but they didn't care. They had evil in their eyes. So you were both trying to yell and say you were not, I mean, they may have assumed you were competing drug cartel or something else. You're trying to say, no, we're Americans, we're Asians, we're diplomatic immunity, right? That's okay. correct. And I told him, look at the car, there's a diplomatic vehicle. Uh, I asked him, screaming all in Spanish, that I have, I have my diplomatic passport to give me an opportunity to identify myself. You, are, you have 
the people you think that you that you we think we are you have a mistaken uh, it's not us so um, they, they they just didn't care at that point two of the shooters introduced an AK-47 and a handgun right by my head by the window and I raised the the window immediately and caught the barrels of both guns and they tried to wiggle them and and fought with them and eventually they just opened without you know any uh, they just opened fire into the cabin of the suburban and they hit Jaime I see Jaime get shot and uh, I get shot but I don't I don't realize I'm shot in the in the leg twice and once in the chest and I struggled at one point with the handgun to try to wiggle it out eventually they pull the guns out the window goes up and they spray over 90 bullets of uh, AK-47 and handguns on my right side of the suburban I um, I yanked the the gear shift and and slam the Jaime's leg on the on the uh, on his leg to press the gas to try to avoid them and we did crash the the suburban in front of us but Jaime had immediately become unresponsive at that point and so I tried to get the suburban back on Highway 57 and went into the median and if you go online and see the pictures you'll see how it ended up and uh, we were there for approximately 40 minutes until. Eventually, some Mexican uh, federal police help uh, showed up after I called them from Mexico City. Okay, so the outcome of this was Jaime, your partner, was killed. Zapata yes. was killed. And you, I mean, as it says, move forward. So horrible event, obviously. You went through, I've read numerous surgeries yes. to correct everything, the injuries to your legs and the, and the other injuries and glass to be removed. Just, yes. just a, lot, a lot of... Um, I still go through treatment. Sorry? I still I, I still go through treatment for my hip and my and my back. Okay. Well, first I want to say thank you for your service, and second, I'm so sorry that happened. But moving forward, so this, you know, you do know if you're an ICE agent and you're in Mexico, you're a little bit, you know, you're taking a little bit of risk to be down there. Yeah. But you felt that this this risk was with this incident that occurred that day put you at more risk is this accurate that than you may have otherwise because you were asked to drive on this highway. So did you pursue afterward? asking what was the reason we were given this assignment given all the that's a great point because everything we did in mexico was very very controlled with operational plans escorts sometimes within our own agents escorting us or the the government escorting us this we didn't we didn't get that uh ability to to do that this time we weren't briefed on what was needed the time wasn't taken that we usually would take on other operations and many operations were conducted when i was in mexico and that didn't happen that time. They, they they didn't give us the backup. They didn't give us the necessary tools or time to prepare. It was kind of hurried up. We need that equipment. Go get it and bring it back. And so absolutely, we, we had the intelligence of not to go there. They disregarded the intelligence. One of my supervisors even said that he wasn't aware of any security incidents in Mexico. I, you kind of How do you argue with that when, when your supervisor <laughs> says that about the country he works in? Yeah. So you went through this incident, you, you're back, I mean, you're walking around and you're doing well, and I'm, I'm very happy that you are, but much of what we, I want to talk about today really focuses on American policy, yes. how we protect our, our border agents and how we protect uh, people serving Department of Homeland Security. And, um, and I, I want to get, uh, one more thing I want to get, at the same time, the Fast and Furious operation was had already been uh, seeming to have been a fault at the death of border agent Brian Terry. That's correct. Uh, in 2010, 10. December, uh, agent Brian Terry was killed with weapons from Fast and Furious. Uh, two weapons recovered from our scene were also uh, linked to a gun walking operation, just like Fast and Furious out of Texas. I wanted to mention for our listeners the gun walking thing in Fast and Furious, because I actually saw a little poll recently. They were asking young people what they thought Fast and Furious was, and the majority of them thought it was a band. 
you know, like a rock band. So I want to make clear about Fast and Furious. I was reading about it again today. Uh, during the Obama era, there was, of course, a great opposition, as are among many leftists, to uh, the Second Amendment, to private uh, possession of firearms. And so there was an operation which came in as Fast and Furious. I read today for the first time to understand it was an operation that the Obama administration under Eric Holder as attorney general engaged in. And the mission, according to the Obama administration, the reason for this process was this, this mission was they wanted to have guns. They wanted to show how quickly guns manufactured in America could end up in the hands of, of bad guys, of criminals or, or drug cartels or, or ga criminal gangs in Mexico. So they were trying, they said, to create this, to put this whole program in place with the notion of helping kind of prove to America how quickly guns can go into bad people's hands. And so there was a permission, a laxity in enforcing law in America. So you had guns manufactured by American gun manufacturers. You had the, uh, some of the, um, what do you call those things, the identifying? Serial numbers? Yeah, serial numbers, thank you very much. It's serial numbers, uh, wiped off the guns. And then, but it did turn out that those guns were used in the killing of, so some of the guns that were modified under the Obama administration um, program, Fast and Furious, ended up actually killing an American agent. Other, and they called it Fast and Furious, but the larger effort was, viewed by many conservatives, was that the mission behind, or thinking behind Fast and Furious, was to again become, as a basis to accuse American gun manufacturers of being somehow irresponsible, complicit in the deaths of people who might be killed by these guns that were actually being moved by the Obama administration officials. So back to you. There was at least one gun involved. Two guns, for sure. Um, and, and it's important to, to mention that there's a, it's not just the deaths of uh, Jaime Zapata and Brian Terry, but many, many Mexican nationals were being killed with these weapons. And U.S. Americans, uh, gun shop owners have been uh, affected by ATF, basically making them sell these weapons to ATF, even the gun shop owners knowing that these guns were going to go to Mexico and kind of forced to uh, give the weapons up and sell them to the government, knowing that they were going to go walk south, walk in other words, let, let them be smuggled the south. Gun by, the were gun calling. walking, the gun walking, yeah. And in our case, uh, they had the, the gun walkers identified months before, but never arrested, never taken down. Once the, the guns went south, they had, the government and ATF had the ability to stop them. Now, ironically, uh, as soon as the shooting happened, they went and picked them up and arrested them uh, a little bit too late. But these, yeah. these guns have turned out uh, and turned up in many, many parts of the world. Chapo had, I think, a 50 caliber gun. Yep. One was used in the, in the massacre in Paris a couple years ago. So they've been, they've been all over the place. And uh, uh, it's just a botched operation by, by the Eric Holder and Obama administration that we're still seeking answers, that Brian Terry family is still uh, uh, seeking for answers, so, so are we. I'm glad that you still are. On, on this gun walking, um, and Fast and Furious was one name, but the, the larger notion of the federal government being in the middle of a program to help guns manufactured in America make their way around the world, it really was uh, seen, as I say, by conservatives as an effort of the Obama administration to demonize guns, demonize gun manufacturers, as an impetus, and finish this point, as an impetus for their growing efforts to control guns and to, to limit Second Amendment rights in America. Um, there's also ongoing litigation, in fact, unless it's been settled, ongoing litigation that was 
related to the Obama administration for the first time during when this gun running operation became known, the Obama administration asserted executive privilege over documents they were holding that described their thinking behind it, why we did this, what steps we took, who was, you know, who was involved, all those documents, they just declined, refused to turn over to Congress, uh, asserting executive privilege. And that, and you may know the answer, as of, I think 2018 litigation was still pending. Yeah, and there's, there's uh, we haven't ever received the documents. They still have them. I, I know some were received by, by Congress, but still have not been turned over to us, the both families. And we really want to see those documents. We want President Trump to somehow overturn that executive privilege order. I love that executive privilege. I also would like the just the exposing of the truth. Yes. Exposing the truth for, for all the families involved. So you've talked a lot other, uh, in other media about mm-hmm. the idea of wanting to continue to pursue to get to answers, to get to truth. What do you at this point want to have from the, from the Trump administration, from the government to, to, I can't ever make it right again, but to give you peace about what happened? Number one word I could say is accountability. Let's, have, let's hold those that are responsible accountable. accountable. No one has been held accountable on either case. Uh, as a matter of fact, some supervisors, if not almost all, have been promoted. And so that's uh, it's just kind of a slap supervisors in the Supervisors within? Within the ICE, within, uh, within ICE. ICE okay. and my, my supervisors in Mexico have now uh, been promoted and are at higher management in ICE HSI. But it just kind of seemed uh, that no action was taken. A, a special agent was killed in line of duty in Mexico. And um, even though there was an initial response to get the, the, uh, the shooters, with the government did a great job with, with, in conjunction with the government of Mexico, um, that was, that's kind of where it ended. And as a survivor, I'm here to, to, to kind of continue the story and, and let people know that this just happened just like Enrique Camarena, DA age in 1985, mm-hmm. and how DA has done such a great job of keeping his legacy alive. And so mm-hmm. I'm, that's my, one of my duties is to keep Jaime Zapata's legacy alive and that his death was not in vain. I like that very much. On Jaime Zapata, he had a lawsuit. His family had a lawsuit against the government. I believe you've joined. We did. We did. And it's uh, basically been dismissed. It's all fully been dismissed. The last part that the judge in, in the Southern District of Texas had left open was the Freedom of Information Act. But we were in a catch-22. The judge is continuing to ask us to bring him documents. And we asked the, the, the government for documents, but they don't give them to us so we can't provide documents to the court to prove what we want to say and what we're saying and so eventually it just got closed out okay so you've served as a as a and i'm sorry your title was special agent for ice yes okay you serve in that capacity so obviously a big issue in 2020 in this election year there are numerous issues relating to immigration border security let me start with and, and whatever your opinion i don't even know i don't know you very well so i don't know your opinions but what do you think for example about the border wall having served in ice worked in mexico what's your sense about the the need for a border wall gosh i support the border wall i wish the border wall has been up and running throughout the whole border the southern border i've seen it firsthand working on the border and uh, the vehicles uh, coming through the river into texas full of drugs the backpackers carrying hundreds and hundreds of pounds of, of marijuana and other drugs, uh, the human smuggling, the human trafficking. The barrier is something that will help. And I know I'm the first one to tell you, it's not, it's not to solve all just by having the wall, but it certainly is a big factor in reducing the amount of traffic that comes through that porous, it's a porous, gov- uh, porous area and border, so we need to seal it. Once you seal that, then we could address what we're probably going to talk about now, the sanctuary issue and the cartels, which is another big issue. But 
we got to keep something going along with technology, cameras, sensors, and human, drones human. and everything, all that human intelligence. It's all good. We're not going to get rid of that, but let's add additional tools. And the wall is something that must be needed. I, I saw a video just a couple of weeks ago of someone jumping the wall, but then Border Patrol was on the other side waiting for them. That's exactly what the wall was built for, to give our responders, our Border Patrol agents, time to get there and, and apprehend yeah. the illegal aliens. Yeah. So your first point about cartels, is American policy toward Mexico doing enough to try to diminish, to protect America from the, port, the, the uh, mission of the cartels and the smuggling of drugs? Could we be doing more, America, to fight against the power of the cartels in Mexico? Absolutely. We're definitely not doing enough when it comes to the cartels. Now, I'll separate it with the immigration because Mexico okay. has been very strong on the immigration part. But when it comes yes, to the have. cartels... They just seem, well, Mexico obviously is not doing anything about it. President uh, Lopez Obrador has just decided that he's going to give hugs and not bullets. And, <laughs> and that's what he said. And it, it is just a disgrace. There are videos, if you just go on YouTube, uh, I just saw one earlier today. They are just executing. The cartels are killing innocent people. They've killed Americans, and they will continue to kill Americans. And Mexican, I think there was a total of 34,000, don't quote me on the number, of homicides of last year. 36,000 or 65,000 un, uh, unaccounted for civilians. Un, uh, people don't know where they're at. They're just lost. Mexican and, civilians. And Mexican civilians. And so these cartels, when I was there, thought it couldn't get worse. It is worse. They have now taken over 80% of the country of Mexico, either by uh, influence or straight out control. Forget the border. All of the U U.S. Uh, Mexico border is controlled on the Mexican side by the cartels. Okay, I have to be sure I heard you correctly. You're saying that of the actual landmass of Mexico, approximately 80% of it is controlled by the cartels. Yes, and that's not my statistic. That is a statistic put out by Mexican government themselves. So 80% of urban areas in, in Mexico are controlled or influenced by Mexican cartels. Because we could talk about the corruption, obviously, right? But they have now moved in. Now, the Cetas cartel have factioned out into what we call CDN. It's Cartel del Noreste or Cartel of North Northeast. They are big. They're still controlling that whole area down south of the Texas area. The uh, Sinaloa cartel, we know who they are. They're still probably the biggest. But right now, the biggest uh, threat right now is probably the cartel of Jalisco, Nueva Generacion, New Generation of Jalisco. That's what they're called. Great. Extremely violent, extremely violent, no concern for, uh, for human life. And they're, they are hungry. We need to designate them. And I mean, we, yeah. the pre President uh, Trump, and he got close late last year to designate them as a foreign terrorist organizations. There are the, those few that I mentioned should be considered uh, and labeled uh, and designated as foreign terrorist organizations. That was my next question about foreign terrorist organizations. I agree. I agree. We got to use all the power we have, all the ability in our, our own laws in America uh, to go after them. So let me turn to sanctuary cities, a huge issue in the 2020 elections in America. Most of the candidates on the American left and the Democrat um, for running for president are at least speak favorably of sanctuary cities, or they certainly do not ever call out sanctuary cities as lawless. What is your sense, not, uh, just to start with, what's your sense about how much the presence of sanctuary cities in America, the known presence, serves as an invitation to people to cross our border illegally? It certainly does, but uh, that's not the, the number one magnet that brings them in. They're not going to say, well, um, they, they certainly like that once they're here. But what, what, what does happen is that they know that once they're arrested, let's say in California in these huge uh, sanctuary states, sometimes they're not even cities, they know that once they're arrested, they're going to be released because ICE right. is not going to be notified. And that, that, to me, is just dangerous. Uh, I used to lodge these detainers that you, that you talk about. And luckily, when I worked at the El Paso County Jail, the, the El Paso County 
sheriff uh, respected and, and the authority of the, of the detainer. But as you know, many of these county jails do not. And the reason why it's so important to have ICE notified is that because the illegal alien is there, obviously, because he committed another crime. He's not there out of the, they're Just not picking him off the street. He's there for either DWI, a family assault, family violence, whatever. Rape, theft, murder, rape, anything. Rape, murder, theft, whatever. Sometimes absolutely very serious charges. And being released, what's happening? Well, they're, they're released back to the community. And there's this argument that, yes, U.S. citizens are at risk, but their own community is at risk because they go back to live in their own migrant communities and they assault their own members of their own community. So even the, the community don't want them back there because uh, sometimes they get deported. They get to get caught, get deported. Guess what? They come right back there. Which goes back to the need for a wall and better, you know, that they so can't come all, back so start, easily. It all starts at the border. But I love your concept about the idea of the sanctuary city policies and the failure to honor detainer requests. It doesn't just hurt the innocent law-abiding Americans who are le legally here. It even hurts the community, other illegal immigrants in those same cities who are not committing crime, who just did come here for whatever reason they had, and they are put at risk because of the failure of the of law enforcement to turn over illegal, the criminal illegal aliens to to ICE. I mean, yeah, to ICE. It is like a, it, it, we kind of lose that argument. Like, and, and I think for the left, it makes it easier because if they can, if we lose track of that argument, they can just talk about it as a racist issue. You have white communities right. and you're picking on the Hispanic. But if you're really saying, no, these are, it's good guys and bad guys. It's people who follow the law and don't want to be in danger. They want to live in a safe city and people who don't. MS-13, I'll give you that perfect example. Yeah. They get deported, come back to their communities, and guess what? They assault their own community. They rape their own, their own uh, uh, women in their community. Sometimes they go back and retaliate because they might have uh, testified against them or might have uh, pointed or singled them out. So uh, it's very dangerous. These gangs, uh, the cartels are within our communities in the United States. The gangs work with the cartels. So it all ties back to what's going on in Mexico. Boy, Victor Avila, this has been so informative. I want to turn, though, in our last couple of minutes here. So you have served America in a variety of ways, and now you're, you're <laughs> off on a new adventure. You are running for city council in the city of South Lake. I'm very excited about that. Um, I've been a, a public servant for most of my life, and this is the next uh, step for me to be able to contribute and give back to my community. And I think being a council member for the city of South Lake is a right, right move for me. I'm excited to, to be able to give back. I've lived in many, many cities uh, around the country and around the world, and uh, I'm able to bring sound judgment and, and good decision making when, when it comes to issues uh, locally that affect our community. That is amazing. Well, I commend you. That's a wonderful thing. And America is a great thing to step up and run for office instead of just complaining about all the issues you're concerned about and griping and sitting around the dinner table uh, and saying, isn't it awful? Instead, you're going to get up and try to do something. So That's correct. Commend thank you, you very, very much. much. Thank you well, very thank much. Well, thank you for, so very much for coming in today. I appreciate, I appreciate you being time, here so Debbie. much. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Oh, actually, one last quick thing. So yes. people want to read about your campaign or what, what you've been the, doing. Is the best website? way uh, they can find me at, is at my Twitter account is at Vic, at Vic Survivor 11, at Vic Survivor 11. And also a website for my uh, campaign is going up, uh, Victor for Southlake. Uh, dot com. Victor for Southlake.com. Okay. And the Twitter handle, I meant to say that as Vic, V-I-C. V-I-C. Uh, Survivor. Survivor 11. Okay. And actually, you're very active on Twitter. I saw that. I enjoyed I got sidetracked today reading your Twitter <laughs> feed. So thank you so much again thank for coming you. in. Thank you, Debbie.
One last topic I want to hit today as we close up. You know, today is the New Hampshire primary, and you got to know we'll talk about that tomorrow. In fact, tomorrow we have joining us on the show Victor Davis Hanson, fabulous thinker and writer. And even though we agreed to other topics, I'm definitely going to ask him what he thinks about the outcome of the New Hampshire primary today. I want to make the point today in this 2020 election cycle that I think it's incumbent on Americans, on conservatives, on law-abiding Americans, people who love this country, to begin to call some of the ideas that the American left stands for simply un-American. We can't keep agreeing to the radical left's ideas and act as though we're all debating issues that are somehow broadly all belong on the American playing field because it's not true. It's not true. Many things, I picked on Bernie Sanders for this segment, but I could have picked on any, almost any of the other ones running for president. The ideas they stand for simply have to be labeled un-American. And I want to tell you why I say that. Number one, the idea of America, there's so many people, and I say it all the time on this show, America is a unique, extraordinary country because we are not based on ethnicity. It is, you know, Italians, you can be Italian, you live in the country of Italy and you're Italian, it's your ethnicity. Same for being Greek or Norwegian or German, whatever the ethnicity is. But America is founded 100% on ideas. It is a country based on ideas and those ideas as they are written out in the Declaration of Independence and then the fulfilling of the Declaration's promise, the Constitution, the whole notion, we live in a country under the rule of law, we live in a country where we are committed to the idea that each and every individual has rights simply because we were born. That's what the Declaration is saying. Simply because you're born, the Declaration is acknowledging the natural rights of man to live in freedom, or as it is articulated, we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those ideas include very simple ideas underneath them, like all of the promises of our rights under the Bill of Rights, to live in freedom, to speak freely, to have freedom of speech and religion and assembly, and the freedom to be, to be able to protect ourselves while we have a Second Amendment, and the freedom against an overarching, unfair, totalitarian government. That's why we have, we have protections against unreasonable search and seizures and protections in the idea of when you go to court, you are promised the right to have counsel and to have your, view, your side of the story told and have a jury of your peers. All of this is set up as the idea of America. That's what the idea of America is. And every person, any race, any ethnicity, any national origin, anyone can embrace that idea. But if you don't like those ideas, if you don't stand for them, you don't get to say your ideas are American. Let me hit on Bernie Sanders. I could just hit on three, and I've done other ones, but I want to hit on three basic ideas Bernie Sanders stands for. He says... He wants, I mean, I have, I printed out his, and by the way, it's available on our website, americacanbetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down list of links. I printed out many of the policies that Bernie Sanders says he stands for. He's basically, to be clear, for abandoning the border. Now, he wouldn't say this, oh, no, no, we got to have a border, but we're going to abolish ICE. We're going to abolish Border Patrol. We're going to find an instant and very fast path to citizenship for everybody who's here and other people who want to come to America and 
they don't have any legal status to be here can simply come. He's going to abolish President Trump's remain in Mexico. He's going to bring everybody inside and we all get a quick hearing. And as you were just hearing from our guest a moment ago, once people get here and they seek asylum and we cannot, even now we can't handle the clogged system. And so people are told, hey, come back for your hearing. You know, here, here's a story, but come back. You know, we're, we're going to investigate or assess your right to asylum. And then they disappear. We never see them again living in sanctuary cities. This is a guy, when I say his ideas are un-American, you can't have a country based on ideas if you don't have a border and you don't have a commitment from the government to enforce those borders to say that everyone here has to have some legal status. You could be a citizen, you could be here on a green card, you could be here on some refugee status. We can create other we can increase the number of designations. We can change the designations, but you have to have a system of law that says everybody has to have some right to be here and we have to enforce that. And we don't have policies that encourage people to come here with no right to be here, encourage them to disperse within our, in our, within our country, don't have an entity within the federal government that enforces the border, that enforces the, that questions people when they cross the border, why they're coming. There are the range of suggestions, and these are policy proposals by Bernie Sanders, would simply eliminate the idea of being a citizen because citizenship in America is supposed to be about buying in to the idea of America. That's the first one. To my sense, Bernie Sanders' ideas can be called un-American because he's not going to insist on perpetuating and teaching and, and encouraging the notion that to become a citizen in America, you must embrace the ideas of America. You must understand we have a rule of law and everybody must comply with it. And you can't just meander in and then wander around in our country and eventually get some legal status. You have to have a country with borders like every other country has. Second example of Bernie Sanders. He has talked about and wants to have this government-controlled health care. He says, he used, you know, fancy talk, left-wing, the way they always talk, words, where he talks about Medicare for all and free health care for all. If he has a system he wants, you will not have health care freedom. We have to start insisting on that as a freedom inherent in our right to live with our version of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If you're told you can't get the health care you want, you can't pursue the doctor you want, you can't buy the policy you want, because the government said no, they're depriving you of health care freedom. It's an un-American idea. Socialized medicine is an un-American idea. You can say you want to expand the social safety net, you want to have different people eligible for some form of government assistance with respect to health care or health assurance. That's a different argument. But anything that even tiptoes toward the idea that you're going to be told someday you might think you're a citizen, you might think you have freedom, but you cannot pursue the health care you want because the Democrat socialists now running Washington said that you can't have that. We must be able to call his ideas, not simply Democrat, not simply left wing. We must be able to call those ideas actually anti-American. And the last one I want to talk about just socialism generally, the socialist idea that Bernie Sanders is embracing. One of the founding ideas our founding fathers wrote about in the Federalist Papers, a founding notion of the ability to live in freedom is a recognition of the right to own property, the right to earn your way to work hard, achieve, connect your, your hard work with reward, and then you get to keep what you earn. 
You pay a portion in taxes to the government to pay for the essential things government must provide, such as the military defense and you know FAA, other things the government has to provide. But when someone is telling you, like Bernie Sanders, that the very purpose of government is forced wealth redistribution, he is telling you, you have been deprived of the idea, guaranteed in the founding of our country, the right to private property, the right to keep what you earn, the right to work hard, to not live in fear that the government, when you built your business, the government is going to seize control of it, or either through environmental regulation or the Green New Deal, or they're going to regulate you out of existence, or they're going to, through taxes, take away everything you earn so you have no possible ability to even live with and enjoy the fruits of your labor. We have to start calling Bernie Sanders ideas. They are not just wrong. They're not just unworkable. They're not just idiotic. They're un-American. And I'm on Bernie Sanders today because I think he's probably going to prevail in the New Hampshire primary. And he's battling it out now in Iowa over who really won Iowa. Him, he and Buttigieg are back and forth and they've demanded a recount. But tomorrow we talk about the New Hampshire primary. I want you to keep in mind the ideas that Bernie Sanders proposes are not just unworkable, they're not just proven failures, they're un-American. We have to start calling them that. Call them un-American. And now, my friends, as we always do at the end of our show, I'm gonna turn and talk to you uh, again about why the ideas and stories we talked about today matter to you. So to start with, our Attorney General Barr taking on sanctuary cities, Attorney General Barr is reversing a dangerous slide into lawlessness. Barr is not proposing mass deportation of illegal immigrants. He's focused on removing illegal immigrants who have committed crimes in America. This should not be controversial. It is common sense. Sanctuary cities is an Orwellian label. There is less safety and no sanctuary for the citizens of such cities. As we heard from our guests, even for the non-citizens of such cities, there's sanctuary only for non-citizens who are lawbreakers. Sanctuary cities are simply one among an extensive leftist menu of initiatives to break down law and order in America, to eliminate any meeting, meaning for American citizenship, to favor the non-citizen immigrant, open borders to anyone and everyone, overwhelming the healthcare system and the education systems. Attorney General Barr's actions are overdue and essential. On, and is it fair to call Bernie un-American? Yes, is the answer. America has an identity that can belong to anyone, regardless of race or ethnicity. But American means embracing self-evident truths and America's system of laws. All men and women created equal by their creator, and they possess unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness endowed by our creator. These rights are guaranteed and enforced by our rule of law and the Constitution. It is okay to call Bernie Sanders' ideas un-American. Socialism is forced wealth redistribution. It is inconsistent with freedom and with property rights. Depriving Americans of healthcare freedom via socialized medicine is un-American. Immigration policy that ignores borders and defies federal immigration law is un-American. MAGA, make America great again, isn't really about Trump. It's about restoring the American heritage. And that, my friends, is our show for today. I'm Debbie George. This is America Can We Talk. My three reminders, 
go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. Hit the subscribe button. You can subscribe to my once weekly email and I'll send it out every Friday. Links to all of our shows, interviews, uh, hints on upcoming guests. Oh, by the way, I mentioned Victor Davis Hanson tomorrow and then Congressman Ron Wright on Thursday. Who's, he's a Texas congressman doing a fabulous job. Be with us on Thursday. So subscribe. I love if you email me. I love to hear questions. AmericaCanWeTalk at gmail.com. You can email me, ask questions. I'm going to have a show coming up soon. I'm compiling questions and comments and kind of run through some of the things people ask me to talk about because I, even though I can talk pretty fast, I cannot get to all the questions and, and stories I like to cover. Uh, and so I'm going to do a show sometime soon talking about the questions that you all send in. And I appreciate it very much. And third, if you're able to help support this show, this show has been ongoing for over five years with depending entirely on support from listeners. If you'd like to support this show so I can continue doing it and speaking up for this extraordinarily great country, I would love your support. Again, go to americacanwetalk.org. You can hit the donate button, make a one-time donation or a recurring donation. Thank you to those who have, I appreciate that. We're putting all donations toward an expanded marketing effort to bring the message of the show to a wider audience in 2020, 2020, because we need more Americans to appreciate the extraordinarily great country we already have and to vote to preserve this precious, precious country. I'm Debbie George Addis. This is America Can We Talk. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time every day, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America?